we begin opening the Word of God, let's pray one more time. Father, as we open Your Word, we do so with a sense of joy knowing that the God of all creation has desired to make Himself known to us and has done so through the God-breathed Word. And so we come to You this morning asking for, through Your Holy Spirit, asking for understanding of Your Word this morning as we bring it together and as we discuss the body of Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are continuing in our identity series through the summer. Uh, we've been talking about so many different areas of who we are in Christ. And, in, and again, it, might, I, it probably sounds redundant at times, but just to keep reminding us of the things we've been talking about, that we are a chosen people. And that we were chosen before the foundation of the world. In fact, the whole plan of salvation, the whole plan of how God would put it all together was put together before the foundation of the world. And so, as a chosen people, God had us in His heart and His mind before we were ever created. You know, I, I, that, if that doesn't by itself boggle the mind, I, I, it's hard to think of my, what might, you know. Uh, and then he, we're told that we are adopted. Why are we the need for adoption? Because as, even as His chosen people, we fell away from Him in our sin. We, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And as a result, we needed to be restored. And so he, in His choosing us, he, he adopted us. He calls us children of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ. With Christ. Joint heirs with Jesus. He says that we are loved. That we are sanctified. And I look at that and I think, I, I know of who I am in my heart and all the things that I fall short in. And I say, man, I'm not even close. And I, then I rem- I'm reminded that what some of these terms are the, you know, right now, you know, it's, it's, we're, we're there, but, but it's not finished. Uh, already not yet is is one of the the ways that the phrase goes. We're we're already sanctified, but not yet complete. And and so there is a day and a time where it will be completely done when Christ returns. We talked about the fact that we've been justified, that we've been made righteous, that we're the bride of Christ, that we are the priesthood of believers. All these things we have talked about, and now today we talk about. That we are the body of Christ. And John, and, I, and I'm going to start a, possibly in a, a little less common place for this. Um, we'll ultimately get into uh, our, our main passage, which will be in Ephesians chapter 4. But I've got a few scriptures I want to go through first. In the Gospel of John, in John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer, Jesus praying, Pray something to me is 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 very special. Uh, I frequently, when I am given the opportunity to do the wedding for for a, 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 two believers, a husband, a, a groom, and a bride, believers, both of them, and we talk about it. This is one of the scriptures I like to share with them. I don't tell them until the the wedding service, you know, until we're there, just as we approach communion. Uh, in the service, and, and it's these scriptures starting with the 20th verse. 
I do not ask for these only. And what he's meaning there is he's been praying about the apostles and, and, and preparing them and being with them as to what they're going to go through because they haven't got it figured out yet. And so he's been praying for them. And he says, and then I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. And it reminds me, and I know I share this not infrequently, but we are all tied together to the upper room. Somehow, some way, every one of us is related through the journey of their testimony to someone in the upper room on Pentecost. Because they're the ones that came out and shared the word. And then somebody that they shared it with shared it and shared it and shared it and shared it. We have a lineage that goes back to the day of Pentecost in that sense. And I think it's such an awesome thing to think. And even here, Jesus is praying for us. Those who will believe because of what they hear the apostles and their teaching. And then here's what he says. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, they, that they might become perfectly one, so that the world will, may know that you sent me, and I love them even as you love what a powerful picture you realize that as you when you confess Jesus Christ very clearly in Romans chapter 8 it talks about it but other places as well you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit the indwelling of the Holy Spirit God in us what a powerful thing that's the answer to this prayer we have the Holy Spirit in us We can't do the things that we want to do for Christ if it weren't for that. In fact, if it weren't for that, we wouldn't wouldn't care about the things for Christ. No, He changes the way we think. We go from being conformed to the world and doing the things of the world just like other people around us to becoming transformed into the kingdom of God and the likeness of Christ. The Holy Spirit in each of us unites us. We are united together as one people in the Spirit. And Paul uses a particular metaphor to make this point well known. And I will first look at, at, at Romans chapter 12. Uh, today's reading was from Romans chapter 12. And I'm just looking at verses 4 and 5. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. It's confirming, in a sense, what Jesus prayed for there in, in John 17. We are all one, and through the Holy Spirit, one together in the purpose that God has for us. We are united in a unique relationship. It's like no other relationship, period. 
And it's stronger than family blood ties. Many people, as they confessed Christ, especially in the first few weeks of the church's history, uh, you read in Acts chapter 2, 3, and 4, as the gospel was preached and those added to the church, you end up reading that, that they were selling their property and bringing their resources and pulling it together so that they could all share so that there would be no one in need. Well, the reason why there were people in need was if you confessed Christ, you were walking away from, from your, your uh, as far as the Jews were concerned, you were becoming a heretic, walking away from the Jewish faith. And, and as a result, you could lose your job. You could lose your family. And some of them in, in the more orthodox groups went as far as to have a burial service for those who confessed Christ. And their name could not be mentioned again in the home. Ever. Unless they would recant and return. So, to become a Christian was an amazing thing and a great, tremendous sacrifice. And here they enter into a relationship where God says, we are one in a way you've never understood. Unity, family, life. You're the chosen, the adopted, the child of God. You are the bride of Christ. You are the body of Christ. And through very many scriptures, Paul says that, you know, the the church, the body, and he, and he relates it that way. So this is a metaphor that he uses often. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul again saying the same things. Uh, uh, chapter 12, uh, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body... Though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all, and you notice capital S on the spirit there. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And so there's no hierarchy. There's no special people. The chosen people are of all ethnic groups, of all backgrounds. Of all colors. And, and back here at this time, color wasn't as much of an issue as much as your ethnicity was an issue as to, you know, uh, what you believed. There were, uh, and, and so, but, but it, he says there's, there's no male, no female in another scripture in, 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 where Paul writes, you know. So we are one body. We are the brothers and sisters, the children of God. And I was thinking about this idea of body. And, I, and, and, you know, it's a metaphor. I understand that. But I, I automatically start to think of, of how far do we carry the metaphor. Well, I want to be careful with that. Because, you know, if you start thinking about it and relating it to your own body, automatically you're going you're gonna to come up with some issues uh, in the sense of, of, of uh, how your body you know, functions and works and stuff like that. First off, I, I, the first thing though that I had to, to think about was how many body parts are there? You know, I mean, it's Paul's metaphor. and He says we're all members of the body. And I was thinking, how many body parts are there in a, in a, in a body? And I, and I started with the obvious. I, I said, okay. I, and I couldn't remember, you know, you're talking about going back 40 years just to get to college, you know. Uh, but, but 
you know, the idea was, was you know, how many bones are, are, are in the body? You know, 230 or 40 or something? And probably somebody already knows in here, but it's 206 you know, bones in the body. Plus, there's some of them that are called one bone are actually hinged in a, in a way that, that they actually have separate names in them and all this stuff. You know, and it goes on and on. And then there's, there's over 500 parts with the, when you count the tenons and, 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 and stuff like that. Uh, in in your joints, and, and and each of them have names, and then there's 600 plus muscles, and then there's over over 70 probably well there's 79 organs in our body, and then if you start getting into nerves, and nerve paths, and synapses, and 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 then you get down to the 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 the, the blood cells. And then get down even to the nitty gritty and, and, and the, the, the cells of the body, period. And, and, and all the things that are going on, the brain cells. And we realize that there's millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of cells. So, you know, I thought, well, yeah, Paul has picked an awesome thing because, you know, we think of our body as, as one thing. And another part in, in Scripture, uh, back in, 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 in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you know, Paul talks about. You know, each part of the body being so important to each other. You know, the eye doesn't say that it doesn't need the ear. The ear doesn't say I don't need the the nose to smell. Uh, We need all of it together, working together. And the only thing that I could come to is another metaphor that that I have heard used and have used myself. And that's that God has brought it together in a sense of a concert. Every part playing the part it was given to play. And you think about, you know, how, and it always amazes me to think of, of some of the, 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 the amazing classical concerts, uh, music that has been written as these uh, writers hear all the different parts as they write them. And, and, and of course, they, they sit there on the piano or sometimes with a couple of other instruments play out a few notes and say, no, that's not the way I want it to go, and this type of thing. And if you hear any one piece, it, it could be beautiful. When you hear it all together, I mean, how important can an oboe be? Now there's going to be an oboe player in here that's going to get, at, get me after service. And I only mean that in the sense that we, a lot of us don't even know what an oboe is and what it looks like, this type of thing. And it's got this tiny little reed, and it's really not easy to play. Bassoon, <laughs> you know, different instruments. And in the classical music, when you have the full orchestras and you start to hear all the parts come together, it is amazing. And if you one part is left out and you know the music, you will miss it. Because every part has its chance. Every section has its chance to be highlighted in most classical music. It has an opportunity. So, you know, Jesus has put together this this symphony in, uh, of, 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 of the body of Christ. All of us are part of it. And none of us have the same exact gifts that we bring to it. We are all individuals. We may have similar gifts. We may have the same gifts in generalities. But how we use them and how God calls us to use them is individual. Yet we are still part of the body. And you think about it. You know, my hand can do what my foot can't. I, I, you know, uh, I, I don't, I, when I'm making something in my shop and I'm using the belt sander, 
There's no way that's going to happen with my foot. You know, my, but if I don't have my foot, I can't stand next to the table to do the belt sander. Uh, and so all of it's so intricately involved. So the hand can't say, hey, foot, I don't need you. You know, it's, 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 we, we need every piece, every part, every cell that we have. Our organs. We have a couple of uh, situations like we have two kidneys. We can give one away if the other one's healthy. But and, and that's a generous thing to do. But it's I think it's awesome because what we have is a backup. And I, I know numbers of people who have had kidney failure, and, and because of the uh, the other kidney still functioned well, they they were able to do okay. So. It's, uh, it's, it's an amazing thing, and I think that we were to think about this. I don't think Paul pulled this out of the hat just as, oh, the body of Christ. When he thought about the body, he thought about all of these things. And we can see that in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, especially when he starts talking about the, the eye and the ear and the, and, and the smelling and, and, and all of that. One person that I was reading in a commentary, he says he was trying to picture the ear trying to be independent of itself and moving around. <laughs> I thought, you know, it would be an interesting cartoon. Uh, but anyway, so we have all of this coming together. And then I looked at this and I thought, have you ever injured a small part of your body and it became a big deal? How many times in a, in, a, in, a, in a day do you take time to think about your toes? You might think about your fingers because they, they managed to get out of here. You might shake somebody's hand. You, you know, you know, but you don't normally think about your toes. Well, I had a friend that lost all his toes on one foot, and it took him a long time to get his balance. He was wanting to fall over. And, and the other thing is that when you, when you break a toe, or if you just stub your toe and bruise it badly. Every step you take, it irritates you. That's how closely related the toe is to the rest of you. We need all of it. Paul chose this because in the body of Christ, we need each other and we need each other completely. We are not independent people. This is a hard thing for us in the West, in the United States, because we are so fiercely independent in the context of our civil liberties and and this type of thing. But those don't apply here. We are not independent. We are totally dependent on Christ and an interdependence with each other. And God planned it exactly that way. You know, you, if you have a situation that comes up with your uh, body that shows signs of, of something wrong in your health, you go to the doctor and the doctor's checking things out. And, and, and as they're looking at things, you realize, oh, uh, I've, I've, I've got uh, cholesterol and now my diet's going to have to change. And we change our diet. Maybe we add more exercise. Uh, maybe we have, uh, you know, uh, different issues that, you know, heart rate needs to be stabilized and walking needs to become a part. We do all of these things. And so I put here, what, you know, what do we do when, when our diet needs help? And I just put, my diet changes. I lose weight. I hit the gym. I start walking. I start riding a bike. Um, I take vitamins. <laughs> I, I take supplements. 
I drink pomegranate juice. Uh, uh, I, I, I go to the doctor and, and, and maybe uh, take some medicines that will help deal with some of these problems. We take care of the body. It's important. And so Christ wants us to look at this idea of one body, one spirit together, and he wants us to take care of each other. He wants us to meet each other's needs. He wants us to come together in such a way that if one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. Like I said, my toe is stubbed, and the next thing you know, my brain is saying, whoa, and it hurts. In in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, And this is just the one I could have chosen Romans, 1 Corinthians, uh, Colossians, other places to, to focus on. But I wanted to focus on, focus on this one for a particular reason, as you'll see as I go through it. Uh, starting with the fourth verse, chapter 4 of Ephesians. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, I'm going to get, get into the details of, of that scripture other than one part about it. He gave gifts to men. Uh, and then I'm going to drop down to verse uh, 11. And he gave, here's the gifts that he gave. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the, body, uh, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in, in love. When each part working properly, that's each and every one of us, coming along and asking, sometimes the simple question of, of the day for yourself is, how do you want to use me today, Lord? Give, my, give me your ears and your eyes that I might see and hear the needs of those around me. And it might be as you're walking down the street and you see something and it reminds you of, of Amber. And, and you just think of her for a moment. I call it bullet prayers. You know, other people call them, you know, different things. But, you know, just it, it's not where I, you, you have to long call, call out. But, Lord, just be with Amber right now. Lord, just bless her and let her feel your presence. Just that attitude of prayer, that, that desire to be what the Lord wants us to be at any given moment of the day. One body, one spirit. He's given these gifts to men 
the apostle and the prophets were were primarily the the gifts of of, of uh, involved in the I believe the first century. Uh, they were there to to put together the things of Christ. The apostles, having seen him writing about them, as well as the prophets during that time, bringing things together in such a way that we would have the God breathed word. And while that part faded away, we still have the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors, and the teachers. Now there's more gifts than that. I'll touch on them in a second. But the ones that Paul was looking at here were evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And it's interesting, the shepherds, it's the same word that we use for pastors. And uh, the idea of, of, of pastors is some people say, it was, well, it's actually pastor teachers. And I think that it is separate, but, but you need to understand this. Pastors must be teachers to be pastors. In other words, elders. Uh, is, is tied into that same word and idea. And it says that your elders must be give, ones given over to teach, able to teach the Word of God. And so pastors must be teachers, but not all teachers are called to be pastors. Okay? And so keep that in mind. That there's, there's two gifts being dealt with there. And, and evangelists are normally the people that we think of in terms of those who are anxious to share the Word of God with the people that don't know Him yet. They, they're the people that would, would stand on the street corner in a, in a, in a rough neighborhood and, and be handing out tracts. They're the people that will go door to door in a, in a community in a foreign land and, and knock on the door and hand out a tract and either through an interpreter or through a learned language uh, uh, share the gospel with someone. Within the framework of the congregation, Alan's not in here, but he's an evangelist. If you didn't know that, I, you need to know it. Uh, and I, if he was in here, I'd still say it. And then he would turn all, you know, think his red hair would be, he'd out red his hair. But, but he can't, he, he, he looks for the opportunity. He even shares the gospel with the guys he's arresting in the car. With them, he shot. He even has now. I don't know how many of you know who Lecrae is. A lot of you guys are are, are not into uh, you know maybe the real contemporary Christian music, but Lecrae is a Christian rapper, and you know he's absolutely articulate, clear. The message is powerful. It you know and and uh, he has a, a CD in in the car, and a box of CDs in the trunk. The, if, if he has the opportunity, he'll give them one. And he carries some New Testaments with him as well. You see, he can't be other than that. That's just who he is. Not all of us are called to do that. Now, all of us are called to share our faith. Don't misunderstand me. All of us are called to do it a little bit, just as Alan is called to teach and do other things. But but there's there's a primary thing that you know, that you know, that you know. This is what God's got me doing. I know that God's got me teaching. I just it's it's something that that it just it's it feels right. And I know that I'm where I'm supposed to be. What's uh, also just some of the other gifts uh you know if you were to go to Romans back to Romans chapter 12 which we read this morning it talked about the gift of prophecy, the gift of service, the gift of teaching, the gift of exhortation or encouragement, the gift of giving. 
Now, someone would say, well, what if I don't have the gift of giving? Does that mean I don't have to give? No, the gift of giving is above and beyond. People who have God has provided for in such a way that they can be generous in their giving. And in some cases, the gift of giving, even when they don't have it, they still have the gift. I think of the one couple, uh, in, 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 I know I've shared this story before, but it just so stuck in my mind as the perfect example of, of an Indian family in, in India um, receiving uh, from their church a, a food box that would be enough to last them a week. And they divided it in thirds and gave half to one-third to this neighbor and one-third to this neighbor, neither of those neighbors knowing Christ, but they were in desperate need of food too. And, and one of the people said, you know, we've had some Christian people die because we haven't had enough food. You know, and, how, you know, and he says, yeah, but if we die, we know where we're going. And he had to share. That's the gift of giving. God, you know, doesn't call all of us to do that. But he, he felt that burden. And so the gift of giving, the gift of leadership, the gift of mercy. And there's more in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that you can go through and look at. So there is a game plan, if you will, that God has for the body of Christ and these gifts. The members of the body of Christ, us, and these gifts. And, and, and the game plan is, is, is starts in, in verse 12 of, of chapter 4 of Ephesians. We have these gifts to equip the saints... For the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. God has provided spirit-filled leaders and, and pastors and, and, and teachers to come within the framework of the body to take the Word of God and teach it. And they teach it to the body uh, to raise them up in the Word, so that they might become workers of the ministry. I was reading online that somebody's bulletin, when he, he was surprised, he, he shared it on a, a, a pastor board uh, and, and shared a, a picture of it, but it was the, the, the bulletin of a church that he had visited while on vacation, and it says, Pastor so-and-so, and, and then it says, uh, in, in the area for ministers, it says, and the rest of us, <laughs> or something like that. In other words, you know, the pastor was labeled as the pastor teacher who would be in the pulpit, and the, the ministers the, didn't, it didn't list all sorts of associates and everything. It just says, the body, you know, something to that effect. And so, uh, you know, the idea is, is that we're all to be a part of it, ministering to each other and the needs of the body first. God makes it clear that that's the first priority but then those around us. How do you know when to minister outside of the body? God has a way of bringing it to you. This, this congregation and I have, has been one of the most generous congregations I've ever been in in ministering to people outside of the body and, and outside of the church. I, I, I can recall, recall several instances where, for instance, Goebbels would call and say, we've got a family down here uh, they don't have a pastor, Bob. Yeah, could you come down and help? They, they, they're, they're not churchgoers. I go down and it turns out they don't have any money and Goebbels is trying to figure out how they can do it so that they can, you know, you know, they're discounting everything they can and all this kind of stuff. And they still can't get close to it. I bring the need to the church and, the, and, and we take an offering and, and there's more than enough to take care of it. 
We're not a church of wealthy people either. You know, it's just we're a church of, of generous people. And and I've seen it over and over and over again. And so that's how it's supposed to be. And I just want to say, we, we've got part of it working right. And I'm not saying that we don't have all the rest working well either. But I'm just saying, this is how it's supposed to be. The game plan, though, is that we equip the, the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. And what he's talking about there is to go out and to share the gospel. To go out and to meet the needs. You don't need to wait to come to church to, to find out if, 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 if you can meet the need. You see someone that you know is hungry and you say, should I or should I not? Give it a word of prayer. Maybe God will send you back with something for them. And you know, you know part of you might be saying, how do I know I'm, get, I'm not getting scammed? Well, the odds are the way things are in, in Northern California that you might well be getting scammed. People say, oh, I don't give cash. Well, I agree with that. I, I think that's a, a, an okay way to approach it. But if you give them food, then that allows them to use the cash they were saving for food for what, they, what you were afraid you were going to use the cash for in the first place, drugs or alcohol. Uh, you know, the question mark is, is there's somebody that's desperate and, and hurting. Do you, you know that, that I've seen men and, and women brought into the church through generosity that were having problems with drugs. I have to share this with you. Rex and Chloe found a family living underneath an overpass up towards uh, Arcata and ministered to them, took them in. The mother was a drug addict. The daughter was, I think, around 12, 10, 12 years old. And uh, they helped. It took a long time. They, 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 they helped the mother get sober, get clean. didn't happen overnight. In fact, it took a few years. But they didn't give up on it. Every now and then, the money that they would have shared with them ended up with drugs. They didn't take it personal. And I look at that and I say, That's, I want to be that way. <laughs> That's the person I want to be. They share, you know, part of their legacy is that kind of giving. They're responsible for a ministry that got started in, in India. And, and it's still there, meeting needs. I mean, personally responsible. Not part of a church that got it going. But as it grew, it got other churches involved. I'm just saying, you know, they didn't, they didn't wait for it to happen at church is what I'm trying to get at. They saw the need and met it. That's the way God wants us to function as the body of Christ ministering to the world. Ministering to each other, ministering to the world. One person used an interesting picture. The church is, you know, is, is viewed, this one pastor says, he says, I, my, my church at one time was more like a bus. I was driving the bus and everybody else was just riding along. Everywhere we went, I drove. And he says, I real, and, and, and he said, then I realized I don't have, I, I'm doing something wrong. There, there, we should have, you know, 
it shouldn't be working this way. And, and that was his way of looking at it is, you know, it's not, it's not just the pastor. It's not just the elders. It's not a select few. It is the body. And we are all given the Holy Spirit, and we are all one in Christ. We don't have an excuse. Um, and, and we do have certain things where we can say, that's not my gift, but God may be calling you to, you to step outside your bounds and fill a gap for the moment, outside of your gifts. He does that just to push you a little bit and to grow you a little bit and to meet a need in front of you. So equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Remember, we're all part of the, the priesthood of believers, and we went through that several weeks ago. So we're, we're to be involved in the work of the ministry until all the members, and, and, and this is, is uh, again here in, in, in chapter 4, he says, uh, until all, until we all attain, all the members attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Literally, mature adult. That we all become mature adults. And that automatically makes us think in terms of, uh, okay, what is a mature adult, a full-grown adult with, with, with uh, you know, able to function and do the things that our adult would do. In this case, a mature Christian would do. And, uh, and so I thought about this. When we come to be a, a Christian, when we first become Christian, you know, it doesn't matter how old you are. I was 26. And as soon as I entered in, I realized I don't know anything. And I actually thought I had had a pretty good understanding of some stuff, and I, I but I'd been teaching myself <laughs> uh, for a while before we, I started going to a church, and uh, I needed I, I, I found out I'm a, I was a babe in Christ. It's a scriptural phrase, a babe in Christ. I needed uh, you know I needed formula, uh, you know uh, and, you know and and uh, and. Uh, he said there will be a time to eat the solid food. And so that's the case for all of us. When we first confess Christ, our, the Holy Spirit in us, and, and our eyes are open to understanding. And, and it, there's, there's no way we can understand it all, but we start to understand bits and pieces. Line upon line, precept upon precept. And as a result, we start to grow. And then we find ourselves in the Sunday school, in our Bible studies, in worship services like this morning where the Word is preached and taught. And as a result, we start to grow even more. We will spend our whole life learning the things of the Word of God. The character of God and His holiness and, and how awesome it is and what Christ has done for us. All of it. We will spend a lifetime grasping at it because it's it's based in eternity <laughs> and, and and we're based in, in a finite world <laughs> and so we're going to we're going to always be growing but there's a point in time where we're supposed to start to step out and it doesn't have to be uh years down the road most of us if we're interested we'll find that we have the opportunity generally fairly early in our walk maybe to be a helper in, with someone else's ministry. Maybe to help Alan in the Sunday school. Or maybe to help Trish in the nursery. Or to maybe, you know, 
these types of things to help with uh, uh, keeping you know the church building clean or to do this or to do that things that we do as a body of Christ together as part of what we do and and it's what what we're able to do at the time and those things change as you grow it says that you know the goal is that, that we become this mature adult person uh, and, 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 and he says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then he says, so that we will no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Now, this word for, for that they use here for children, some of them, uh, they, they say, well, it's toddlers. Or it's it's babies that can't even walk yet or talk yet, you know this type of thing. The word is actually a broad word. It's someone who is not of age. And to be not of age means adolescent, pre-adolescent, child, toddler, all all the way down to baby. Okay, but the idea is that anybody could fill in that that situation. So basically, somebody not of age. In other words, a person who is still confused about most of the things going on around them, trying to figure it out, and as a result, we're easily swayed one way or another by what's going on around us. And as a result, we find ourselves going up and down, up and down, and, and, and all around us to what we believe, what we understand, how we feel about certain situations, and, and, and that's natural. Paul isn't faulting that. He says there's a point where we need to, to be taught and led past that. And this idea of being tossed about by the waves is, is an interesting picture. I don't know how many opportunities you've had to be in, in what you call high seas or heavy seas. But I've been able to be in, in well over 20-foot swells. Uh, and you're up like this, and then you're down. And all you can see literally are walls of water higher than you, 20-plus you know, feet higher than what you are all around you. And, and then up again, and then down again, and then up again, and then down again. And, and so the idea is, is that we're, you know, when you're tossed about, you can't really, you're not sure about anything. Catch a glimpse of land, and then the wind blows and turns the boat slightly. And you come back up, and the land is missing <laughs> because it's behind you now. Uh, you know, everything's a bit confusing and unsure. God wants us to grow into maturity. It's part of what he calls us to do. We need to be willing to do as a result of this, to be taught and to become those who teach. And all of us are called to teach to some point. Every one of us. If you have a child, you're called to teach. If you have a grandchild, you're called to teach. If your neighbor's children spend time at your house, you're called to teach. I mean, it's just, it, it, there, there, there's opportunity. There's Paul's concern here. He says there's deceitful schemes. That's an interesting phrase. Deceitful, that means with intent to deceive, basically. Deceitful schemes. And then there's, there's just uh, you know, various kinds of doctrine and this type of thing. Uh, and you say, well, how does this happen? How does it hit us? You know, we, I'll tell you, it hits, with, it hits you with... I wrote your bookstores. <laughs> there are a few. Um, 
but you know when you go on Amazon and they have the latest group of books uh, that are all the number one sellers, you, you know you're maybe attracted because you're a reader, uh, and you're not going to buy a book anymore. You're going to put it on your pa- iPad or e- or your ebook, but whatever. It's 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 uh, uh, you know, and you say, oh, that looks interesting. Well, John would tell us through First John chapter four, test the spirit of what that book is saying. And see if it confesses Jesus Christ come in the flesh. And when John says that, he means all that Jesus is and all that he said about him in John as well. So test and see if this meets the scripture challenge of, of who Christ is. Does it confess that? If it does not, it's of the world. And John doesn't give you anything in between. He says if it's of the world, it's of the Antichrist. Now, does that mean you can't read the book? No, that's not what it says. It's not what Paul even says. What it's saying is know what it's teaching, what it's saying, so that it doesn't dissuade you away from the the, the truth of Christ. And so we're called to test everything. And and so we've got the different places vying for our attention, and all of them have access to things that are Christian, and I put it in quotations, uh, and and church type of stuff. Uh, and and you find it on the internet, you find it on the TV, you find it on the radio, you find it from well-meaning friends, uh, you find it from people who come to your door, uh, you know, all sorts of places. Uh, I have a true story that I, I, I will share with you. I, I changed the name, uh, and and so uh, Gloria is a new Christian, been a Christian just a, a, a few months. And her neighbor has noticed that she's leaving the house every Sunday morning. And so uh, she's figured it out, you know, that she's, you know, she one made sure that she was out there one morning when she was going out, because she also went to her church every Sunday. And uh, she uh, said, oh, are you going to church? Oh, yeah. Oh, how nice. A couple of days later, she knocks on her neighbor's door, on Gloria's door, and, and wanted to, you know, and they had done this before. We sit down and have a cup of coffee. And this lady started bombarding her with her church information, which happened to be Jehovah Witnesses. And Gloria is absolutely confused. And so she does something. She calls her pastor and says, I don't understand. What, and, 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 and so he said, well, make, you know, uh, you know, I'll come by and, and talk to you. But he said, you need to let her know that you're done talking for right now. And we can talk about this. And uh, the next day, the pastor hadn't even got there yet. The next day, the lady showed up with someone else from the church, which was, I, I call them ringers. Uh, they they basically had the next guy, the next step up, who has more training, and uh, but the pastor shows up, and the, finally the 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 the, uh, the one who was speaking from the Jehovah Witnesses said, asked her, asked Gloria, he says, "You gonna let the pastor talk for you?" And she says, "Yes," <laughs> and and so that. You know, but but what it was was that there was exactly what we're talking about. She was praying for those deceitful people, uh, and and they've got another gospel, and they know they have another gospel, 
And when you confront them with, with Galatians, it says if somebody gives you another gospel, it's anathema. They say, oh, you don't understand that. It's not really what the Greek says. So, we're to be there for one another. By the way, if, if, if Gloria hadn't got a cold of her pastor, I'm sure she would have found someone else to get a hold of. She wasn't going to let it fly. At least she knew not to approach this by herself. She wasn't ready. So, we are to, and, and, I, and I, like I said, I put a list of things. Now, school. Go to a school board meeting and ask them, a public school board meeting, and ask them, do you confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? <laughs> and, and they'll say, no. <laughs> you know, okay, that tells you that they're not teaching stuff that backs up the Bible. That's all. I'm not saying that you shouldn't go to a public school. That's between you and the Lord and how he leads you in that. What I'm saying is you need to be aware that your child is being led in secular humanism and not in Christianity. And it's going to have conflict. And you need to know that. You need to be involved close enough with the school to know what's being taught in the classroom. When they have those, those teacher-parent meetings, be there. Ask questions. Ask to see the curriculum. Ask to go through it. Ask the teacher questions. Verse 15, and I'm going to close here with this thought, is uh, it says that uh, instead of being carried away about all these deceitful schemes and, and, and human cunning and stuff, it says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. The key to this right here is speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth is speaking the words of Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Speaking the truth of Christ. He is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. All of this comes together so that we understand speaking the truth with love is to take the Scriptures and, and to speak them and to teach them with love, which means, this, and, it's, and I believe it intends to be this, with the, the idea of the, the spirit of love, the, 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 the fruit of the spirit, love. Which means that you're going to be patient and kind and good and, and, and you're not going to beat somebody over the head with the gospel, but you're going to be patient with them. And, and, and when, when they're done, you know, don't keep overwhelming them. Don't push for a close. If it's not, you know, let the Holy Spirit lead this type of thing. And just realize that we are to teach the truth in love. And I believe that's the, the reflection of the fruit of the Spirit. And I, I know a lot of people have other ideas about the fruit of the Spirit, but I believe the fruit of the Spirit, when you read it in, in, carefully, the fruit of the Spirit is love manifested in eight other ways. In eight ways. And in reference to kindness and patience and gentleness. If you were to go on in, in, the, in the book of Ephesians and read starting with uh, verse 17 and go through 32, you would see what a maturing Christian looks like. It's one who starts putting off the things of the world and putting on the things of God. And I like those pictures that Paul has. He puts off and then he has a put on. He never has one too, too far from the other. You know, put off, put on. And there's an important thing that goes with that thought. 
When God calls us to put off things of the world, he's ready there to put on, meaning replace it with things of Christ. He doesn't want it to be empty space. <laughs> wasn't meant to be. The result? Transformation. Put off the world, put on Christ. And you find yourself developing in the fruit of the Spirit, love. And you can tie 1 Corinthians 13 into that and just starting with chapter, verse 4 and about love and it's how it's patient and kind and doesn't keep a list of wrongs. And you know, all of it ties in together with the idea of the fruit of the Spirit very closely. Well, for communion this morning, I would ask that you would uh, uh, just think in terms of, of all of this is possible because of what Christ has done. This relationship of the body of Christ that we are part of, that we've been given the gift of eternal life through, that we are saved because of, happens because of the cross. It's shed in the blood, but more than anything, because he became sin for us. Paul makes that absolutely clear. He paid the price in full. Finished. We don't bring anything to the table to purchase our salvation. He did it all. Let's have the ushers to pass out the communion. Hold it until we've all been served and we'll uh, share together. Deep the Father's love